Ephesians and jump into, you know, if we need something. And last week as a family, as a, as a church family, we really needed to stop and pray. And if you were here last week, you got to be a part of that. And uh, we had a prayer sermon, and then, we, and then we prayed for a good 15 minutes, probably 15, 20 minutes. And man, there were, there were tears throughout the fellowship and hugs. And some of you, that just weirds you out. I know. <laughs> but it was, man, the spirit was moving. It was powerful. And uh, we're going to do that from time to time. If we need to pray, we're going to stop and we're going to pray. And I, we're not going to apologize for it. So that's amen, right? All right. Um, okay, so, so two weeks ago, we covered a lot. We went through five verses. That's, that's the max I've ever done. That was my record. But we're going to slow down and do one today. It's, five was a lot. Five was a lot. Um, but if you missed it, the brief synopsis, or synopsis was going through Ephesians uh, 2, 8, and 9, where we're saved by grace through faith, not of works, so nobody can brag about it. No one can boast. And um, that it is strictly a gift from God. And today we launch into Ephesians 2, uh, verse 10, and it's up, there on, it's up there on the board for you. You can look it up. Um, let's, let's go ahead and read it. For that we are his workmanship, created in Jesus Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared them beforehand that we should walk in these works, walk in them. And that's kind of what we're going to, it was so much, you're like, Jimmy, that's just a couple words. What do you mean we're going to, it's going to be the whole sermon? Yes, yes, you can give me a whole thing. Stay with me, bear with me. So let's think about that. On one hand, the Bible is clearly saying that we are saved by grace. There is zero that we can do to earn our salvation, right? God clearly doesn't want our works adding up in some account for our salvation. Hence, his emphasis on not of works, lest no man can boast. Seems pretty clear, clear to me. But I've been spending some time going back and forth, and, you know, I go pretty fast sometimes. And sometimes there's some confusing points. So some quick bullet points again from the last message. We're saved by the grace of God. It's a gift. We cannot earn this gift. I can't say that enough. This week, we're going to focus on how God works through us, in us. He's living in us. God will use us as his vessel for spreading the gospel, his vessel for making him known and making him look good. Right there that we just read, it says that we are created in his, for workmanship created in Christ Jesus. I know how much everyone loves to learn the Greek, right? So I'm going to tell you that the Greek word is translated, workmanship is poema, which is derived from the English word poem, which means that which is made, a manufactured product. In other words, our conversion is not the end, it's the beginning. So our conversion, if you're filling in the blanks today, our conversion is not the end, it's the beginning. Has anyone in here ever been a non-believer? I know I have, right? Yeah, <laughs> Pretty much every hand should be up, right? I remember a time when I thought there was a God. Like I knew, I, I really had a feeling there was this God or I was taught that, and, but that he would just accept me someday and let me into heaven. It wasn't until I was in my late 20s that I heard the gospel presented in the church for the first time and realized that I would not make it to heaven on my own. Couldn't do it on my own. You know, I'm like, I have a good job. I'm successful. I, I'm making money now. I got everything I need. I could make it on my own, but I realized the pastor went through it, and I had broken the Ten Commandments many, many times over. I was in need of a Savior. So it's okay. You talk about how you don't always like to share your faith, right? We all kind of get scared to share our faith. And there's times I don't. You know, 
a lot of times the last few years here at Hills of Grace, even before I came pastor, I'd be leading up evangelism causes. We'd say, hey, you want to come meet me on the street? We're going to go hand out uh, prayer things. We're going to set up a prayer stand. And uh, people just flock to do that. No, no, they don't. They don't. <laughs> they don't. And why not? Because it's scary, right? Like, you don't want that confrontation. And, and I stand here today to say that I'm scared every time I do it. I'm scared. Even though I'm a bold, outspoken person, I'm scared every time I'm going to share my faith with somebody. You, you know, you're scared of that rejection. You're scared of that, oh, man, I've been getting along so good with this coworker. Is this the time? And you feel you're going to, ah, what if I, ah, if I do it now, I might push him away. So you do, you stop, you don't do it. You know, or whatever. But man, but often when I share my faith with others, I'm asking them questions. Many believe this myth that is held by a lot of people. They hold on to the possibility of accepting Christ on their deathbed. I used to think that. I'm going to just, I'm going to do whatever I want. I'm going to live how I want to live. And one day, I'm basically going to be ready to die. And at that point, I'm going to, yeah, Jesus, I'm ready now. And now I'm ready to accept him. But in reality, I hear about people dying all the time. It's not always in that, in that way, is it? It's not. And, it's in, and he's like, blink of an eye, crashes or, you know, shootings or something crazy where they didn't even have a time to think. They didn't have that deathbed experience where, you know, I almost envy that now. I, I, you know, I hear stories about you know, grandma or grandpa, and they're on their deathbed, and we all got to come around them and pray with them and talk to them. And I think that's so cool. Everybody gets to say goodbye. And I hear story after story about that from friends that I have. Some people don't get that. You know, there is no goodbye. It's just, oh, no, I got a call. And it, it's, not, it's not cool, right? It's just, it's, it hurts. And you didn't get, and you think about the last time you talked to them. As humans, you know, we do that a lot. We talk about, we're going to wait to start this or wait to start that. We talk about starting a routine, you know, you know, we'll start doing this, and then, but we'll have this date in mind, but then the date keeps getting pushed back. We'll start next week. We'll start the week after that. Don't be fooled. There are Christians in all churches today that are playing church. I have, you know, I have a, I have a joke with some of my coworkers at school, like, hey, what are you doing this week? I'm playing school because I, I teach uh, sixth grade math out at Douglas. Oh, no, I teach reading now. Um, <laughs> that was an interesting story. So it's like a day before pretty much orientation is going to start at school and all the new incoming sixth graders are going to come and uh, the principal and the, super, or the assistant superintendent come to me and say, Jimmy, we're in, a, we're in a pinch. Our numbers are so high in our classroom. We like to bring in another teacher to the core so our numbers can drop to like 21, 22 in a class. And who doesn't want 22, 20? You don't want 30 kids in a class. If you do that, you end up teaching in Rapid City. So, but <laughs> that was for you, Jen. Amen, right? Amen. But, but out at Douglas, they, they want lower class numbers if possible. And so I'm like, great, you're going to bring in someone to teach re reading that? They're like, yeah, you. Would you be willing to do it? And um, so they kind of they asked me, and I, I felt honored. But uh, so I went ahead and agreed to do it. So I'll try it this year and see how it goes. So I'm excited to teach reading, so I, but I still want to say math for some reason. But no, I forgot what I was going to say, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> but there's people playing church. Everyone, I have this friend, and uh, everyone thought he was a man of God. He'd be actually, you know, they thought he believed faithfully, or faithfully. He would come to church, he would, he would sit in the pews, 
He would, he would be a part of teams. He would serve. He'd do the offering. He would do all these things. It wasn't at this fellowship. It's just a story. But uh, it wasn't until a few years down the road he actually entered an evangelism course. And he was going through the course. And, he, and during the course, he learned how to share his faith with others. Still wasn't saved. Okay? Um, so then he started witnessing to non-believers. Instead of prayer stands on the street, I'd be down with this guy. I had no idea. So we're on the street. We're serving together. And um, he still wasn't a believer. He speaks of being witnessed to. He's, you know, and he's, he was witnessing to somebody, and it hit him that it was God speaking through him to this guy. And he's like, like it stopped him dead in his tracks that he's going through the gospel with this guy, trying to get this guy to accept Christ, and he hasn't accepted Christ himself. And here's a guy who's a part of the church. He's hanging out for years, playing church, and never really convicted in his heart that he needed to follow Christ. He hadn't repented and trusted in God alone for his salvation. He was asking others to join the kingdom, but he wasn't even in the club yet. But God was using him, right? He was using him. We are a part of God's new creation, and God continues to work in us to make us what he wants us to be. His purpose is to make us more like Christ. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says, And we know that all things work together for those who, who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose, for whom he foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. He wants us to conform to his image of him. But how does God work in us? How does he do it? In Philippians 2.13, it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Many times in Ephesians, Paul says that everything is for the glory of God. He does that all over the Bible, that it is one of the main themes of the Bible. Do all your works unto the Lord for God's glory. Christ finished his work of redemption on the cross. It's finished. But he rose from the dead, returned to heaven. There he carries his unfinished work of perfecting his church. Think about that. We're the bride of Christ, right? We are the bride of Christ. Just as you raise your children, Christ is raising us up in the ways that we should go. Christ is spending his time with us through his word. Through his Bible, this is how he spends time with us, equipping us for our work here on earth. Christ wants you to read his Bible, read his word. He wants you to pray. He wants to hear from you. He doesn't just want to read your mind when you're going through your daily routines. He will. But he wants you to talk to him, spend time in him. He wants you to not forsake the gathering of the believers. He wants you to be held accountable. He wants you more than 1% of your week. He loves you so much. You know, we talk about the, I know Tom, probably like two months ago, he stood up here for a while and he talked about like a 2 to 3% challenge. And he talked, about, he talked about the math of 1% of your week is Sunday service. But what if you could add um, Bible study in there? Like starting, in, starting on September 11th, we'll have Bible study at 9.30. Service will actually start at 10.30. So we're going to push it back starting September 11th. So write that down if you don't remember. But September 11th, we're going to the new service time. But... You, can, you, you could add another chunk for God at 9.30. You could still come at that time and get in one of the three Bible studies that are going to take place. And, and there's sign-ups over there, so you can check out all the groups that are going to be. But you could be a part of that. You could add another percent. You could come on Wednesday nights. That'll start up September 14th with youth groups, stuff for kids, stuff for adults. And we're excited for that. Worship practices on Wednesday night, too. So it's all kind of encompassed. We're going to eat together as a family. I'm excited for all that. But we let our calendar get filled up, don't we? You can almost imagine if I threw a calendar up here 
you know, let's just say it said September, and I'm talking to myself because I've done this, I can't tell you how many times. Anytime you got one, two, three, four, five, how many kids you have, what do you do? You have a free calendar, right? And then you get the calendar from the coach. And then you get the calendar from the other coach, right? And then it starts filling up, and all of a sudden, oh, shoot, we thought we were going to be able to do this, we thought we were going to be able to do that, and now we can't, we can't do anything. And I don't even know if we'll be at church on Sunday. There's a tournament. You know, and you start, you realize you're never around. And, and the things you wanted to do, you know, you talked in the summer. I'm like, oh, I can't wait to start Wednesday nights. I, I can't wait to go to the fellowship Fridays that are on Fridays. I want to get closer. I want to be on this, in this Bible studies. And you realize we just filled it up. God wants to equip the saints. He uses three special tools. One, the word of God. Two, prayer. And he actually uses suffering something we might not think about, but he actually uses suffering to bring us closer to him. And that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. The word of God, prayer, and suffering. As we read God's word, we understand it, we meditate on it, and feed on it. The word goes to work in our lives to cleanse us, to nourish us. It cleanses us. That's what it does. Has anyone ever done a cleanse of their body? Like with pills or juices or anything like that? Yeah. Actually, my wife and I just did that a few weeks back. I was up here complaining on how fat I was. So, um, and my wife got sick of hearing me complain, so she said, I'm going to order this cleanse, we're going to go through it, and we couldn't eat any cheese, which I realized I eat cheese every meal a lot. Like, you put cheese on everything or it doesn't taste good. <laughs> Amen, right? Amen to that. Um, couldn't eat cheese. We couldn't eat dairy. That's cheese. Duh. What, el- what else couldn't we eat? We couldn't eat any grains or sugar. Everything I love. I mean, everything, everything, and I was like, fine, and it was a rough 12 days, um, especially when you go out with folks and they, they eat stuff in front of you, and, uh, <laughs> but, but I do like vegetables, I like meat, so I was able to combine some stuff, and, and, and uh, together, we're, we're down about 25 pounds since we started, together, um, we, she's good, I have more weight to lose, and, um, I would never say she has any weight to lose, so I know better than that. Wisdom, guys. It's wisdom. Um, But you talk about, you do these cleanses, right? You talk about how the cleansing the toxins, getting rid of that muck that happens because of the cruddy food we eat, right? So God is, God through his word, through through prayer, he's speaking of allowing his word to cleanse us. God is allowing his word to cleanse us. That's how we get cleansed spiritually, to nourish us, it helps us, it guides us. The Word of God will do that if, if you let it. I, I have a buddy who, he wasn't saved at all, and he just, he says, I got saved from reading my Bible. He just started, picked up a Bible, he had one, something he had from a kid, he started re- reading it, and uh, he read the New T- Testament and was saved. Then started going to a church and got disciple. Because again, back to that uh, first bullet point. This is huge. I think we forget that. I'm guilty of that. You know, somebody repents and trusts in Christ, and we're so grateful for that, right? Of course, amen, but we think it's the end. Oh, they're good now. You know, we don't think like, maybe I should invite them over. (laughs) Maybe we should hang out. Maybe somebody, because, you know, I look at myself, there's no way. If someone would have just left me alone after I got saved, I'd, I'd be in the same boat. I wouldn't have grown at all. But man, when you get connected with other believers and you start meeting, you start texting each other, you start calling each other, 
man, you, you will cleanse each other. You will help each other out in so many ways. We are being nourished. The word of God, our friends, our godly counsel in our lives will do that. Now, I know what, ha- or, or what happens. We tell God we're going to fit him in. You know, we talk to folks, a lot of Christians, I, you know, I talk to, they read their Bible every day. Some read it here and there, and there are some of us who we only open it Sunday morning. And, but you know, it's a great idea to study during the week. Go and reread the verses that we've studied the week before. Now, in this case, it's only one verse. But you'd be surprised. You enter that verse into Google and search commentaries on that verse, and you will, you'll, you'll have enough to read. <laughs> <laughs> you'll have a lot to read, trust me. You'll have pages and pa- pages of just that verse 10 that we're going through today. So I encourage you, use this in your families. You can use a verse-by-verse study to say, hey, what did we talk, what did Pastor Jimmy talk about on Sunday? Let's go through this on Tuesday night as a family or Thursday night or Wednesday night or, or just an hour here and there or before dinner or something like that. But it's a good idea to do that. I had, I had someone come up to me and say, you know what, J- Jimmy, the last time you spoke, you did five ver- ver- verses, you went kind of quick. I missed some of that. I really wasn't sure. And, um, and I just encourage this per- per- or person, maybe or kind of the advice I just gave, go back, reread those verses, Google the commentary, go through all five of those verses, continue it like a personal study until you understand it. I kind of, and I'm, I, we don't all have the same backgrounds. We don't all have the same perspectives. And if you're used to, you know, if you've been in college classes and stuff where you have to listen to a guy or lecture and then go back and reread the material and and get, that's where you really get the learning. And, you know, you learn from the discussion, but man, you really learn when you dig deep personally. And it's it's really no different with the Bible. Some things that I say are going to click, but a lot of things are going to re-click for you when you you open the Word and let the Word speak to you. So we have, our, we have our tool. Our first tool is the Bible. The second and third tool that God uses to equip his saints is prayer and suffering. So the word goes to work in our lives to cleanse us and to nourish us, right? Well, as we pray, God's spirit works in us to release power. So we're praying God's spirit works in us to release power. As we suffer, the spirit of God ministers to us. So now we're going through sufferings. And that's usually when we seem to pray the most, pray the most, right? when we're, we're, we're going through a trial. Suffering drives us back to the word in prayer, and the cycle is repeated. So suffering, so when we do suffer, when we're going through a trial, we lean more on who? God, that's when we come back, and that cycle is repeated. Let's, let's go to our word, let's pray, and then usually we get, we're suffering again. Not right away, maybe, but it comes back. It's a cycle. Too many Christians think that the conversion, again, is the only part, the only experience, and nothing follows. But we're wrong. We, a few weeks back, we talked about the resurrections of, of Lazarus, right? He was raised from the dead. Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. In other words, a man is now alive. Get him out of those grave clothes, grave clothes, G-R-A-V-E, clothes that he's buried in for the grave to be ready for death to be done. So he, Jesus is saying, get him out of those grave clothes. Get him out. Paul had the same concept in mind in Ephesians 4, 22 and 24 when he wrote that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you may put on a new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Which reminds me of a show I like to watch sometimes, The Biggest Loser. Anyone's ever seen that? Makes me feel good. Um, 
any show where there's a makeover, whether it be homes or bodies and stuff, at the end, I always like the end, right? You get the before, you get the after. And at the end of the show, we're always blown away by the conversion, right? We're always blown away like, wow, do you see that guy? He was like this and always like this. You know, or the house. I always like the house one where it's like this run-down house and they fix it up and it looks all nice. I love those shows. But it's basically, it's reminding, the analogy reminds us to see what God is trying to tell us. To let go of the corrupt, the ucky things that we held on to and latch on to things that are holy. The resurrection power that saved you and took you out of the graveyard of sin can daily help you live for Christ and glorify him. I, I told a story two weeks back about a young man who was struggling with sin. If you miss that, you can download the podcast, philsgrace.com. Um, it's all on there, but you know the young man was struggling, and he needed an accountability part, partner to overcome this. But until he truly, truly wants to get rid of something, he needs to keep Christ at the center of his mind. We need to live daily for Christ. We can die to ourselves. We have to die to ourselves daily. Die to our desires and wants and live for him. Doesn't mean we're going to be nuns or anything and monks, right? No, but he's at the center of our mind. The center of our mind. You know, it's kind of, I remember when I was growing up, there was a phrase, WWJD, right? There was a big phrase probably a few years in the 90s, right? What would Jesus do? I wasn't a Christian at the time, but I was kind of like, I, I was a church goer. I went to church as a kid, and I was kind of like, that's kind of cool. What a, what a great reminder, like when I'm going to call somebody a name to be like, oh, what would Jesus do? Yeah, he probably wouldn't do that, would he? You know, but, <laughs> but how neat would it be, right? If Jesus is at the front of our mind, what would, I'd like to bring that, what would Jesus do back? I think that'd be good in this culture in 2016. How would he react to a lot of the things that are going on? We die to ourselves daily. At a great expense to himself, God worked for us on the cross. Today, on the basis of that price paid at Calvary, he is working in us now to conform us to the image of Christ. God cannot work in us unless he has first worked for us and that we have trusted in his son. Also, he cannot work through us unless he works in us. That is why it is important for you to spend time in the word, in prayer, and to yield to Christ during times of suffering. For it is through the word, prayer, and suffering that God works through you. That's how he does it. He works through you in praise, though, as well. Many times we only ask God for help <coughs> when we need him. How neat to see, we, can't, we need to see that we have to be reminded of the things, the good things that God is doing. God gets bad rap. If there's a God, why is this happening? If there's a God, why is this? I hear that all the time. What, why don't we glorify the good things he's doing when, when people are... When people are ripped from the rubble and they're alive and they're praising him. And, and I mean, there's miracles every single day. He also works through us in praise. We need to brag on God when he's working in our lives and doing great things. You know, I'm always, this, this time of year, going back to school, like I was talking about, I'm often reminded of how the state I was in the Lord when I first moved to Rapid City. You know, it wasn't good. I, I wasn't born again. I, I moved here. My wife and my kids moved here a year before I did, and I was going to sell the house back in Wisconsin. And um, here we are. During that year apart, my wife and I split up. We broke apart. We were, we were, we were completely separated. And um, it, was, it was a really tough time. I, I had counsel probably from like 35 different people in Wisconsin 34 out of 35 were telling me, get a lawyer and force her to come back to Wisconsin. You can get her back. 
get her to come back. She cannot take your kids out of state. All the things that everybody was telling me. I had one guy, one godly man in my life telling me, Jimmy, God will work this out. We need to pray, and you need to head to Rapid City, South Dakota, and work on your marriage. I said, you're crazy, dude. She wants nothing to do with me. You are nuts. He's like, Jimmy, how big is our God? I'm like, all right. So, um, so I got a job here in Rapid City, and uh, Jen couldn't have been more thrilled at the time that I was moving back. <laughs> uh, that was an argument in itself. Well, we're separated. Where, where are you going to stay? On your couch. Uh-uh. I said, well, we don't have enough money, so I'm going to have to stay on the couch. We still had a house in Wisconsin that didn't sell. We had a house worth about $150,000 one day, and the next day it was worth like eighty-five, overnight, practically. Housing mar- market. <laughs> so we couldn't even sell the house. So it was just a big mess. And um, we owed more, way more than it was worth because of the tanking of the market. But we lived, so we lived here. I lived on the couch. Things weren't getting any better. So I, I realized it was probably over, so I moved out. I moved out, got an apartment. And uh, we figured out a schedule. I had the, you know, like all good adults do. Um, we're going we're gonna to be the best divorced parents ever. We filled out paperwork, got it, all, got it all good to go. We had all the dates. I would have them on this day, that day, and she would have them this day, that day. And, and um, again, we're not really interested in God right now in our lives. And uh, so we go about our business. I actually sign the papers and I give them to her, our agreement. And um, she never filed them. Unbeknownst to me, I just assumed we were about to be divorced. I'd be called into court. It would all be situated. We knew it wouldn't be that big of a deal because we worked it all out. We weren't fighting about anything. We were both like, okay, you're going to do this, you're going to do that. Here's how much money. Yeah, I'm fine with that. You know, and we figured all that out. And it was very peaceful. It was, it was like the perfect divorce. <laughs> Something wasn't right, right? Unbeknownst to me at this time, um, there was a lady she worked with who um, was telling her, like, all her little friends at work would, would be like, well, you're, you're divorced now, right? Or, or when's this final? Or when's this file? And the lady would come over her shoulder every time that ha- or ha- or happened to say, she's praying about that. You don't worry about that. And I, something paused in her, and she didn't follow through with anything. Well, fast forward about six months, and it was right before school started in, in August, and that's why every year around this time, Nine years ago, we, um, we're going, I'm, going back to, I'm about to go back to school, and uh, Jen and I start being nicer to each other again, and, and um, we just said, would you, I don't, you know, I told her, I said, I, I've been prompted to go back to church, and I, I wanted to try this church over here on top of a hill or something, and, and her first reaction was, of course, now you're ready to go back to church. Right? How many times is our spouses that, you know, like begging you and begging you and we're like, I don't know, at least with dude like me, I was like, I'm not going to church. And I, did, I wanted nothing to do with it. And uh, so now I want to go to church and she's like, yeah, sure, now you do. Like I'm doing it just to like, I'm like, no, I, I just want to go. I'm just letting you know I'm going to go here. I know you always wanted to go there. If you want to try it with me, I'll go. And I told her it would be nice. We could go with the kids. You know, and afterwards we can leave. It's not a big deal, with, except, but let's just, if you want to meet for church every Sunday, that'd be great. And um, so we started going, and they had have, they are similar to us, about a half hour w- worship and praise, and then go into the me- message. And um, two weeks in, 
we went back the night or, or next week and just said, yeah, we'll, th- or this will be our Sunday routine. Um, the next Sunday, um, we're worshiping in work, you know, wor- wor- or worship, and I'm standing here, and Lexi's standing here, and Lexi's about Arabella's size at the time. So you imagine little Arabella right here, and then Jen was right there, and uh, she's always like, she's holding my hand, she's holding Arabella's hand, and she grabs our hands, and she puts them together. And Jen could not have released that hand fast enough as if I was a fourth grader with amazing cooties just, just all over the place. It was bad. It was like, and then I was like, that week when she released her hand, there is an opportunity in the church service for, to accept Christ. And I, it just hit me that day like I'm not a believer. I've always thought there was a God. I grew up in church. It was all that stuff. And I realized at that moment, that if I died tonight, I didn't think God would let me go to heaven. And I, um, so I, I was one of the guys that raised my hand and said, yes, I'm ready. I'm ready to commit to Christ. Because believing in him is one thing, right? But then making him Lord of your life is another. And then that's, that's what I learned that day. And I just, I remember being in like tears, but I was making sure like Jen didn't see me, you know, because we all had our eyes closed and I was raising my hand. But, um, and then everything kind of changed in my life. I started, oh, man, I want to come back to church. I was excited. I was praying during the week. I didn't open a Bible yet, but um, mainly because I didn't have one. Like, I got one when I got confirmed as a Lutheran, but I don't even know where that went. (laughs) So I had one somewhere. Well, okay, so fast forward now the next week. The next week, same thing. We're in our worship. I'm holding Lexi's hand, and she's holding Jen's hand. You know, we're praising God, and I'm praying. And I was nervous because I'm like, I, what if Lexi does that again? I kind of want her to do it. I, I hope she does. But I, but I, I, I can't, I'm, I'm just praying, God, I can't, I can't do this rejection right now. Don't do it. Don't do it. Don't do it. And then I feel the hand move. She's pulling my hand. And she connects our hands. And this time, she didn't let go. She held on. And she, she squeezed it. And, um. And right then and there, I knew that this marriage wasn't supposed to end. It was supposed to go through this suffering. And, and um, I mean, I look back on it, and now I, I get it. I get so much of it now. But at the time, I was just so elated that she squeezed my hand and, and was willing to take me back and, and wanting to. And then afterwards, we talked, and... We, we talked a few weeks later about that experience. It might have been a month or two later. We talked about this experience because then I got rid of my apartment. We got rid of hers and we bought a house and we said, let's do this. We got into a biblical marriage class right away. And, um, but we, we went back on that moment and it was either that week or the week before she also gave her life to Christ. I had no idea. So we were both giving our life to Christ at the same time. And then we wonder why, at that moment, we could both forgive each other. Not in our power, right? Not in our, not in our power. It was, it, was, it was through the power of Jesus Christ. So that was just a little, that was free. Um, that was a little bit extra. But there's no telling what God will do through you if you allow him. Especially when it comes to those marital things, it would have been... It was already set up. It was so easy just to walk away from it. 
You know, now I look back today and I, there would be no Arabella in my life. There'd be no Lincoln. We wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't have happened. And who knows? You know, what example were we showing of a very, very young Dylan at that time and a very young Lexi at that time? How neat was it to reconcile? God spent 40 years working in Moses, right, before he did any work through him. 40 years. At the beginning of his ministry, Moses was impetuous, meaning he acted quickly, didn't really care. He just kind of on the fly. He depended on his own strength. He killed an Egyptian and had to flee Egypt. Hardly a successful way to start a ministry. But during those 40 years, he was a humble shepherd in the desert. Moses experienced God's working in his life for 40 years of magnificent, or magnificent service. Joseph suffered 13 years before God put him on the throne in Egypt, second to Pharaoh. David was anointed king when he was a youth, but he did not gain the throne until he had suffered many years in exile. Even the Apostle Paul spent three years in Arabia after his conversion, no doubt experiencing God's deeper work to prepare him for his ministry. God has work in us before he can work through us. Jen and I, our ministry began with co-teaching marriage classes. That's how we started ministering to folks. Think about it. A marriage, like, that was over. A marriage that was a disaster. Filled with lies, deceit, corruption, everything. Everything. And he, God said, no, we're going to use the suffering that you did in your marriage, and we're going to use that to glorify what marriage should be. How neat was that? God had to work in us before he could work through us. The rest of verse 10, we are created in Christ Jesus onto good works. We are not saved by these good works. We are saved onto good, good works. We are not saved by faith plus good works, but by a faith that works. This is confusing. There's other religions that say you're gonna, you have to have all these works. You have to in order to get to heaven. Now, I get it. It kind of sounds like one of those early Common Core map worksheets. Let me slow it down. It's not faith plus good works equals sal sal or salvation. It is faith as a result will equal good works. As a result of, if you have faith, as a result, you will have good works. Good works will flow from you effortlessly. Many times not effortlessly. Sometimes you really have to stop and pray, right? Or you're going to lose it on somebody, right? Especially if they're being rude to you. The love we have for the guy who saved us on the cross should pour out onto other as others as we serve him. We are so grateful. We are so grateful what he did that we get to love God and love the hills. We get to love God, love others. We are not saved by faith plus works, but a faith that works. The basic scripture on this theme is in James 2 where the writer points out that saving faith always results in a changed life. Your life will be changed. My wife and I gave ourselves to Christ and things changed immediately. We didn't wait. We listened to God. We prayed. We must demonstrate this faith by our works. The Bible speaks of many different kinds of works. Works of the law, that cannot save. Works of the flesh, they're listed in Galatians. The works of darkness in Romans. The dead works in Hebrews, basically the dead are the works that lead to death. The wages of sin is death. 
and then the works of righteousness. In Titus 3, 5, refer to religious works or other good deeds that sinners try to practice as a means of salvation. Sinners want to buy their way out. And Isaiah declared that all our righteousnesses are as like filthy rags. So then you got that verse, and you're like, well, what the heck? Should I do anything good? If God thinks they're like filthy rage, well, no, no, no. If our righteousnesses are filthy, what must our sins look like to God? This, the works that Paul is writing about in Ephesians 2.10 have two special characteristics. First, they are good works in contrast to the works of the wicked. If you contrast Ephesians 2.10 with Ephesians 2.2, you will see that the unbeliever has Satan working in him. So Satan's doing all the work if you're the unbeliever. But the believer has God working through him. And therefore, his works are good. By definition, God is good. So if you're doing works onto the Lord and he is in you, by definition, your works are now good. His works are not good because he himself is good, but because he has the nature from God and because the Holy Spirit dwells inside and works through you. It's too bad that many believers minimize the place of good works in the Christian life because we are not saved by the good works. They have the idea that good works are, in a sense, evil. Well, I don't need to do all that. I'm already saved. I hear that sometimes. I think it's a mistake. Let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which in heaven. Matthew 5, 16. What a verse that is. Read that again. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify. As a result, they're glorifying your Father in heaven. How cool is that? We're going to make him look good. My, uh, my, my son, Dylan, uh, got a job working at a, um, a Black Hills Receptions. And I was a little nervous because I, I DJ weddings, and I DJ there a lot, and I know the owner. And he got a job there. I was like, well, he screws this up. It's going to make me look bad, right? But he didn't screw it up. He not only did... He did better than I thought he was going to do. And, be, I mean, and I would have the owner calling me and texting me saying, wow, what a good job you've done with your, your son. You such a good work ethic. And <laughs> he's slouching in his chair. Um, but think about it. You let that light shine, and you make your mother and father look good. We're making God look good here. Just as I made this post a few days, a few days ago, I posted on Facebook or last week that I wanted to hear your good works. I wanted to know what you're doing to glorify God in your life. And no, no lie, it took about two minutes. Nah, maybe about ten. I got a private message from somebody saying, uh, warning me of Matthew 6, where the Bible speaks of not letting the left hand know what the right is doing. It's true. That verse exists. It's valid verse and could speak against sharing what you're doing for God. However, I see in Matthew 5 and Ephesians 10 and a few other spots in the Bible that if you are going to share something you're doing for God, it's important that you have the right heart. And if you have the right heart, share away. If you're glorifying God, let it be known. You should be posting to give God the glory. Now, if, now if you're posting it because you just want you to look good, that's a different story. But you have to know your heart. God knows your heart. You know your heart. Making God known and making Him look good. That's what you need to be doing. If not, then I think Matthew 6 does apply. You're just a Pharisee looking to look good in front of men instead of glorifying your Father by your good works. And that's the difference. And I don't blame my buddy. Actually, my, my buddy who messaged me, we went back and forth in a very friendly conversation, and we talked about this. And I think by the end, he realized that 
oh, yeah, you don't want to let the left hand know what the right, right is doing, but I'm, I'm actually encouraging that brother in Christ to sometimes let people know. Because sometimes just by hearing of a good work you're doing, I hear it all the time, oh, yeah, we're, 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 we're doing this now and, and going into this uh, nursing home, we're doing this and that. I'm like, that sounds great. I want to try that. How would other believers know of the things that are going on and can help you if they don't know about it? I'm not saying you got to tell everybody everything all the time, but if you got something going on and you need help, ask, talk about it. Sometimes people will just help you. <coughs> the neat thing about good works done unto the Lord, as used in a, the context in Ephesians 2.10, Matthew uh, 5.16, is that not only these works are good, but they are also prepared. Good works which God has ordained for you to do. He's already established that you were going to do these things. How neat is that? God knew what you were going to do and work it out long before you ever sought out to do it. When I was in my rough marriage, God knew that someday I would be counseling marriages. He knew that. Seriously. Who would have possibly thought that? Not me, not Jen, not anybody around us. The word prepared is important because the only other time it is used in this con context in the New Testament is in Romans 9.23, the vessels of mercy which he had afore prepared unto glory. The unbeliever walks according to the course of this world, <clears throat> but the believer walks in the good works God prepared him for. This is an amazing statement. This means that God has a plan for our lives and that we should walk in his will to fulfill his plan. Paul is not talking about an impersonal fate that controls your life no matter what you do. He is talking about the gracious plan of a loving Heavenly Father who wills the very best for us. The will of God comes through the heart of God. The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of His heart to all generations. Psalms 33.10 We discover God's exciting will for us, for our lives as the Spirit reveals it from His Word. God will speak to you through His Word. Some things to close out today. More of taking like a personal inventory, like on each other. Just think about these things. Which of these four works are you experiencing right now? Is sin working against you because you have not trusted in Christ? Then trust Him now. Don't wait. Be like me in that church service and say, I want Him now. Have you experienced His work for you, in you, through you? Are you wearing the grave clothes or the grace clothes? Think about that. Are you covered by His grace? Are you saved by His grace through faith? Or are you still, are you still lying in, his, in, in the grave clothes, still ready for death? Are you enjoying the liberty that you have in Christ? Or are you still bound by the habits of the old life in the graveyard of sin? As a Christian, you have been raised and seated on the throne. Practice your position in Christ. He has worked for you. Now let Him work in you and through you that He might give you an exciting, creative life to glorify him with it. There is a lot. There is a lot in that. I just, all I have to say to that is amen. Get rid of the grave clothes. I can go all the way back to the... No, I can't. won't let me. Oh, am I frozen? Sorry, go ahead. Leave it. Leave it. It's not a big deal. Um, I go all the way back to the first thing, the first bullet point, which says... something. Yeah, our conversion is just the beginning in this process. That, it's just the beginning. 
It's just the beginning. Our conversion is just the beginning. And it's, it's so true. I, think about it. I mean, I, I laid out my story today. I'm not always going to do that. I, I felt led. I felt convicted to do it. So I let out my story. I, I went, I don't know, whatever. But um, I wanted to get that out because it really, it really went in line with this. If, if we wouldn't, as soon as we get saved, what a beginning that my wife and I went on and started with marriage ministries, which led to other things. It led to me standing here today, being obedient and be able to preach the word, like, and being equipped to do that. I, it's hard to believe. But anybody can start. And it, it's just so strong that the being saved is just the beginning. It's a great thing. We don't want to take anything away by being saved and being reconciled with God and having a place in eternity with him. Not taking anything away from that. That is the ultimate. But man, when we, but when we start discipling one another and we look for discipleship and we crave it and other pe- people reach out to us, we grow. We grow as a body. We, we, we fill up church pews all over town. We fill up Hills Alive and, you know, everything. We fill out all the things, Jesus' hands ministry that is going to start in November on a street corner. And we'll have people down there from all different fellowships joining us and serving the poor and praying with folks. That all comes from pe- people wanting to be out full of Christ onto them. It's just so powerful. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for this time of study together. Thank you for revealing your word to us, what it said in Ephesians 2.10 and and all throughout the Bible, Lord, that our works do not save us, Lord, but it's a way to glorify you. It's a way to show you, show your light to other people. And without those, it's really hard to do that. So we just thank, you know, we thank you to allow us to have the ability to make you known and make you look good. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.